Hello beautiful people and welcome back to Life to Meet You. My name is Lavinia and that's the podcast that encourages you to embrace change and look at life experiences as a way to learn, grow and become better versions of yourselves. If you have been enjoying this podcast, please make sure to give it a rate and hit the follow button to stay up to date with all the upcoming episode releases. And if you feel like adding even more mindfulness to your daily life, you can follow me also on Instagram where you will find me at Life. That's the platform where I talk about self-love, growth, balance and my mindful approach to life every single day. Well, yes, I'm 30. This year has finally come, full of expectations and surely a lot of curiosity around how it would have really felt to be 30. They say 30 and thriving, uh, and to some extent, it's true. I've reached this moment in my life with a stable job, an apartment, a romantic partner, a monthly income that allows me to travel. So everyone looking at it from the outside could think uh, I kinda arrived, air quotes. I got what I worked for and now I can just enjoy it as is for the rest of my life. But let me tell you that this is not the case. These are certainly great achievements and a part of me is tapping the little Lavinia on her shoulder, telling her great job. But on the other hand, if I think about it, I've always imagined that my life would be more or less like this at 30, as if there was only that one path for everyone to follow without asking too many questions. And especially that by 30, people have it, of course, all figured out in life. Yes, I can sense you're smiling because you've thought about that too. When I think about the past 10 years, I can clearly see how different I was in my 20s, the challenges that I had to face and how much I've grown through them. And this is true for all of us. We, our current selves, are the result of choices, changes, failures, learnings, of a personal growth process that especially in our 20s brings awareness and self-discovery. In particular, I realized that my way of seeing things, my perspective on life and the world in general is that one thing that evolved the most. There was so much I believed through up to my latest 20s, so many stereotypes I took decisions around and misconceptions I surrounded myself with, partly because that was basically the only version of life I knew and partly because that's the narrative most of us are brought up with. And I could spend countless words on how my perspective has changed compared to my early 20s, but because I know you all have probably better plans than having my voice in your ears for 24 hours straight, and I hope for you that that's the case, I'll do my best to condense them all in the next 20 minutes, which in Italian means half an hour at the very least. Let's see how this goes. And because today is a special occasion, my beautiful people, because today it's the 10th episode of this podcast, I mean, can you believe that? I'm so excited already. So that's why I prepared for you the 10 most significant changes in terms of mindset, perception and approach to life in general that I've embraced in my 30s versus my 20s. I'll also walk you through some of the conclusions I've drawn, aspects I've become more aware of and learnings I've internalized at this very stage of my life. You know, that's what I love doing here the most at Life to Meet You. 
It's for me an opportunity to self-reflect, to look within, but also to share my experiences so that if someone out there is going through similar things I've been through, is facing similar challenges, or is asking themselves similar questions, they won't feel alone along their journey. And it might really benefit from hearing a, a different perspective or the learnings of someone who's already been through what they're currently experiencing. In the past, I've often felt alone or not fully understood, and it would have been great as a support to me if I could have listened or talked to someone who had already been there and learned from their experiences in order to grow stronger. As a first step to increase your self-awareness, starting from today, is to ask yourself the question, what makes you happy today? Which is also the way I like to start every episode of this podcast with. It's a simple and brief question, but that can make a big impact. I invite you now to take a moment to reflect on what makes you happy today. And if you cannot find it, I then encourage you to make room for a small act of well-being right now. Treat yourself to a hearty breakfast, take a walk outside on these crisp autumn days, text your significant other or simply feel gratitude for what you have accomplished. Identifying even a small source of well-being every single day will help you approach your days with more positivity. I am a strong believer that long-term happiness is about building consistent well-being rather than alternating high peaks of happiness with recurring moments of sadness. As for me, what I'm sharing today is something more intimate than what I normally answer this question with. I am recording on a chilly autumn day, in the coziness of my space, the weather is gloomy, and probably that's the reason why I also feel more introspective. What makes me happy today are the insightful conversations with my partner I've been having in the past few days. For me, communication has always had great value, not only as expression of my feelings, and I've also already shared this in the last episode of Life to Meet You, but also conversation as a mean of personal growth. And I consider open communication a pillar in a romantic relationship. Surrounding yourself with a significant other who's willing to listen to you always and sharing honest thoughts which are not necessarily in agreement with your view is a high stimulator for personal development and critical thinking. And those long conversations with my partner, especially in this period full of changes, is something that's bringing me comfort and overall happiness. Alright, before I get way too cheesy, let's get deeper into the topic of today's episode and specifically to the 10 most significant changes in terms of mindset, perception and approach to life in general I've experienced at the end of my 20s. And number one is, you won't have your all figured out. Probably the toughest perception change of all, which hit me hard when I started to understand that there will never be a point in our lives where we will think we've figured it all out. Because I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I honestly and surely too naively believed that. But the reality is, there is no knowing how to deal with grown-up stuff, no feeling truly ready to take those big steps everyone is taking, like buying a house, getting married, having babies. There is no such thing of turning 30 and knowing it all. There is more awareness, I'll give you that, more mindfulness, but that's pretty much all. It's still us, just needing to deal with bigger and more complex things with higher risk of failure. I suppose I'm not alone here, but in the past, whenever I watched my parents do the so-called adult things, I automatically assumed that at some point in my life, there would be a switch 
pretty much like a light on, light off kind of thing. After which I would have also become an adult and I would know how adult life works and how to handle everything that an adult should handle. Looking back, a part of me wish I realized sooner that this moment never comes and that in reality life keeps on being made up of trial and errors, insecurities, attempts to understand who we really are and where we want to be. What I know now is that what I always saw as a solid three-floor pre-furnished house ready for everyone to naturally settle in sooner or later is more of a set of bricks and some concrete where we decide where, when and how building the life we want through our choices, desires, aspirations and uncertainties, failed attempts, which will always be part of the process. But that's also the beauty of it, after all. The second big mindset change I've experienced as part of my personal growth journey, especially in my late 20s, is if you don't do it, nobody will do it for you, or eventually you'll have to do it yourself anyways. I see this approach as closely connected to the importance of taking care of ourselves and owning our responsibilities. It's so easy to rely on others, right? For me, it was mainly relying on my parents up until my 20s and then on my previous partners throughout my 20s. And the idea of having someone you can always share your responsibilities with feels good, I know. Having someone who can help you look for an apartment, review your new work contract or file last year's tax declaration make us feel safe. And I'm not saying we shouldn't seek for advice, but taking ownership of our responsibilities is a huge step towards growing as stronger independent selves. Proving ourselves that we are perfectly capable of taking care of ourselves and learning to do that without fear also contributes to increase our self-esteem and self-confidence. So don't wait for someone else to come help you take care of you and your priorities, but do take the initiative, educate yourself and take active steps to support your personal growth. A strong aspect of my personality has always been that I'm not very direct and I naturally tend to express my thoughts in a rather soft and agreeable way to avoid discussions or conflicts. I always felt very uncomfortable in debating or in those situations where it was somehow required to express my personal straightforward opinion because I've always been uncomfortable with the idea of contradicting my counterpart. And if I think about it, this attitude has always been linked to the perception that I wanted to convey to people about myself and the fear of being judged negatively by the person in front of me. Whether it's my partner, my friend, my employer, my colleague, or even a random person working at the supermarket. It reached a point that at a restaurant, if I ordered one dish and received another, I would eat it with my mouth shut and I wouldn't even mention to the waiter that that dish wasn't what I had ordered. Or at work, for example, if I believed that I had completed a task in the best possible way and my boss disagreed, I would just follow my boss's decision and rework the task without uh, not even saying a word. It was like this in every single aspect of my life. And it's definitely not easy to say it out loud, but even when friends sometimes said something objectively wrong, I tended not to correct them. Which is crazy if I think about it. What's worse is that it reached a point that because of this type of behavior, my self-esteem was heavily impacted. 
by constantly keeping my opinions to myself, accommodating others and mindlessly getting along with anyone for fear of being rejected. Not only I gave others the impression of having a flat personality, but I ended up believing in myself. This is possibly the area I experienced the biggest growth in the past 2-3 years. And not only my relationships feels now on a more sincere level, but I gain higher self-confidence and trust in myself. And I'll tell you that too. Give voice to your thoughts. There are no A-list thoughts and B-list thoughts. There are no questions too silly to be asked. And if people distance themselves from you because you're just sharing your opinion, then they're not the kind of people worth surrounding yourself with. Point number four, you will understand if you're a true fan of The Office like I am. And if you haven't seen it yet, uh, I mean, what are you waiting for? And that's a quote from Michael Scott, the main character, which goes like, don't listen to your critics, uh, listen to your fans. Believe it or not, this quote inspired me so much that I put it as the background on my work laptop. The interpretation I personally give to it is to weigh the advice or the critics of people around us not all in the same way, and do that based on the experience that person has in the area in which they're giving advice or expressing their judgment on. Don't let the criticism of those who don't know pretty much anything about what you're doing or planning to do dissuade you from taking action. On the other hand, you should seek advice from those people who have actually lived certain experiences, from those who are setting up projects similar to what you're working on, Because that's where there's shared knowledge, that's where there is a common base of understanding. And going back to this quote, I find the part on listening to your fans particularly motivating, also because welcoming the opinions of those who are our fans, so to speak, and weighting them more than criticisms boosts our confidence level as well as drive in keep on moving forward with our projects. This approach of waiting feedback based on the position of who you are talking to is something I listened from a YouTuber I follow called Nisha. On her channel she actually talks about accounting and personal finance, but that advice stuck with me and positively influenced my approach to reacting to feedback, both positive and negative. Trust your intuition. What would you think if someone gave you this advice? It always felt to me as a very abstract piece of advice, almost spiritual. Especially because I've always tried to have a rational approach to my choices, I'm generally quite conservative in the sense of low risk taking. I'm not someone who enjoys taking big risks, so to say. It makes me uncomfortable. And that's why this whole thing of following your intuitions is an approach that has always scared me. And that's because I would feel like I would potentially take rush decisions. Over the years, though, I started looking at intuition with more depth and built a new, more personal understanding of it, which I found now quite of an introspective and profound approach than one might initially think. Follow me here. We're always biased because we see things from our unique perspective, interpreting the world and making choices through the filter of what we believe is right and what we ultimately desire. If we honestly look inside ourselves, we truly know what we want. And when we're about to make a choice that contradicts the depth of our desires, we feel almost like a block, like an inner signal that's warning us, an alarm showing us that maybe this external factor isn't fully aligned with our internal vision. I would say this alarm is in all of us, but out of habit, perhaps fear, we've learned to lower its volume and ignore it. 
and slowly getting used to it as a background noise. However, if we learn to identify this alarm, we can also learn to use it to our own advantage as a mechanism to recognize when we are making choices that don't align with our true desires or needs. The first time I followed my intuition 100% was when I received a new job offer and was put for the first time in my life in the position to change company. As I mentioned earlier, I'm not a big risk taker. Although there were many things about my previous job that didn't really convince me, and I knew that wouldn't be the company I'd work for long term, there were also many things I liked and I was comfortable with. When I received the job offer for the new position, I had a feeling that changing jobs would be the right choice, even if it meant taking a risk, even if it meant leaving the familiar to embrace the unknown. But ultimately, having followed my intuition at that time brought me today so many concrete benefits. A well-paying job with a higher salary than I could have earned if I stayed in my previous company, a promotion within less than a year of starting that new job, and the opportunity to manage a team. And that was for me the ultimate proof that deep inside we know what's best for us and we should accommodate that intuition, as well as hear that little bell ringing within before making choices just because they seem the right thing to do, because they should also feel the right thing to do. Next up, support your mental health as soon as you can and invest in your personal well-being. You know how important taking care of mental health is to me, and if you listen to episode number 9 of this podcast, you already listened to me saying that it's never too late to start your journey toward mental well-being, and the advice I would like to share today is to start as soon as possible. If I had been more aware in the past, I wouldn't have waited 10 years before actively starting to take care of my mental health, also because it's easier to address problems as soon as they arise rather than waiting for multiple issues of different natures to pile up over the years. This is truly an advice I would have gladly given to my 20-year-old self and that I will give to anyone who thinks they should start taking care of their mental health when they're going through a challenging period. Just do it. Do it today, do it as soon as possible and invest in your personal well-being. Because feeling good about yourself on the long term is that one investment with the greatest payoff you could ever make. Now tell me, would this have been a worthy list of insights if I didn't touch upon the topic that probably all of us have needed advice on the most in the past? I'm talking about love. Even just pronouncing this word makes me happy. We grow up with this idea that love is one. In movies, books, and most of the relationships around us, we almost perceive love as if it's one word, one feeling, as if it's that one standard of any relationship worthy of being called such. When I was a kid, my eyes used to sparkle at the idea of finding the one. But what am I saying, also as a teenager, as even as an adult? So in my ideal vision of a perfect relationship, there was always that one person identified as love of our lives who would express their love in that one conventional way called I love you. Up until my probably 25 years old, maybe even longer, that was my view of love too. And I challenge anyone to tell me that at least for a small portion of their life, uh, they weren't the same. 
But the truth is that love is not just one. Love is a multitude of feelings, of acts, of gestures. Love isn't what we find in a box. It's the box in which we can find many different objects of various shapes, materials, and consistencies. I must admit that also as a result of my romantic experiences, which I might tell you about in this podcast one day, when I realized that I probably would never experience love the way it had always been in my mind, I was devastated. But then I really understood. I understood that this multiplicity of love, this non-uniformity of love, is what truly makes it unique. It's the fact itself that love isn't a standard, the real rare beauty of it. And so why don't we replace the thought of existence of only one type of love, the same for everyone, and open up to the idea that there are countless unique forms of love, each special in its own way. And recently getting familiar with the concept of love languages was a game changer for my entire perception of love. In case you're not aware of that, it basically comes down to the fact that every person has a different way of expressing their love. Some express it through words, some through experiences, others through gifts. But the point is that they are all legitimate ways to show love. Understanding what your love language is and also the one of your partner can hugely help in the process of mutual understanding and exchanging of love. Because it's not guaranteed that you and your partner have the same love language and often we tend to think that our partner doesn't love us when in reality you just have different ways of expressing it. And understanding each other is the first step toward a more open, aware, healthy and intimate relationship. Love. The world needs it, embrace it in all its forms and do it without fear. Number eight. A life without failure would be a life without growth. The idea of failing scares us. The idea of not reaching our goals makes us feel less. The idea of having to change our plans makes us feel inadequate. I used to be terrified of the idea of failing an exam when I was at university. That would have been for me a source of shame, disappointment, inadequacy, pure failure in a nutshell. And this fear of failure I then carried it into other areas of my life. In my work life, failing a presentation, not completing a project on time, or not getting a task done have always been source of anxiety. In relationships, thinking about a breakup uh, always scared me a lot. The truth is that, and maybe the interesting point that I'm trying to make here, is that failure will always be part of our lives. And what really makes the difference, what truly helps us grow and become stronger, is how we respond to it. It's not human to think of a life full of only impeccable results and no mistakes. There have always been and there will always be failures, some bigger than others, and it's up to us to learn from them implement strategies for change and consider them not as steps backward, but as opportunities to improve. To build the life we desire, we must allow ourselves the space to experiment and also find our way through these experiments, of which probably 90% will fail and 10% will succeed, but ultimately building the life we envision cannot happen without failing first. 
If you're interested in the importance of failure, there's a dedicated episode of Life to Meet You where I dive deeper into this topic, so I recommend you to check it out. Speaking of the ideal life every one of us envisions for themselves, we should all agree on the fact that it won't magically descend from the sky without us taking concrete steps to make it happen. The concept of life design is gaining more and more ground recently, and it's a tool for reflecting on the life we envision and for actually creating it. If I look at my life path, it's been quite linear overall, After high school, I completed a bachelor's degree, and then a master's degree, I found my first job, and then a second job in line with the experience gain in my first job. And now I reached a point where I wonder if the life I desire for myself in five or ten years from now will happen if I continue on the path I'm following. This, in my opinion, is a fundamental reflection because if we are not content with our life or the path that it's taking, We must become aware of the direction we are headed and start taking decisions now to be where we wish to be later. For example, I've been living and working in Munich for five years now, but if in five years I don't see myself living in Germany, it means that working backward within one to two years I'll need to start making concrete decisions to change the status quo. There are plenty of online resources that explain life design, offer insight on how to build our ideal life and understand the steps to take in order to make it a reality. So I recommend looking into them if you're interested in this topic because it's been genuinely eye-opening for me as well lately. And now, last but not least, mindset switch number 10. There is no single life path to follow and there is no right life path to take. Looking at my personal experience, I went to high school, then university, I quickly found a job without asking myself too many questions. I started working, earning money, changed jobs to get a higher salary, among other reasons, and continued on this path. What I've realized though, given this trajectory, is that even if this path has been linear, if our life is a road, I've never considered the side streets but I stuck to the main street for the whole time. It was what made the most sense to everyone around me, me included, and it was the path where I walked with most people as well. This sense of conformity was comforting, but over time I started to wonder how it would have been if at some point I had taken one of those side roads, such as, for example, taking a year off between my bachelor's and my master's degree, traveling before starting a new job, or not immediately working full-time but part-time to have more time for experimenting and figuring out what I wanted to do in life in a more introspective way. I just never considered these options because I always thought that the path I was on was the right one. But now, looking around, I see more and more possibilities, more and more side roads, and I realize that actually there are many more different opportunities that can lead us in different directions. Every path, every journey is unique. Don't be afraid to take a certain path just because others think it's the right one for you. And don't be afraid to open up to the idea of different possibilities. So overall, just don't be afraid to consider opportunities that don't necessarily align with a mainstream lifestyle. But rather have the courage to experiment, to create a lifestyle that you desire, and especially that that's right for you and not for others. And so, my beautiful, Beautiful people, we have reached the end of this 10th episode of Life to Meet You. 
As always, I hope that these 10 mindset and perception switches I've shared can be a source of reflection for those who are listening. This episode is probably the epitome of my personal growth journey and how, over the past few years, I gradually started challenging certain paradigms that I, and I'm sure many of you, have grown up with. These changes have ultimately allowed me to broaden my mind and to live life with greater serenity. As always, I'd be happy to read your thoughts on this episode and your personal approach to the life topics discussed. With that being said, I wish you a lovely, lovely day and I will talk to you soon. Ciao!